In just 20 months on the job, Joe Biden has set a number of statistical records. He's brought us the highest gas prices ever recorded, the highest inflation in 40 years, the lowest quarterly approval rating for any modern president. And now, just yesterday, Joe Biden hit a new numerical record. Two million apprehensions of illegal immigrants across our southern border in just one year. Remember, those are just the apprehensions. There are many hundreds of thousands of additional immigrants that were not apprehended, as well as another million immigrants let into the country legally. Meaning that this year, Joe Biden has brought into the country three new immigrants for every four Americans who turned 18. If you've had the sneaking suspicion lately that the nation is rapidly changing, that is probably because the nation at its most basic level, that is the people who constitute it, are rapidly changing through an intentional policy of mass migration, the largest movement of human beings in recorded history. Now, what's strange about this scenario is that, according to a Harvard-Harris survey just about four years ago, the majority of Americans want to drastically reduce all immigration, both legal and illegal. The last Republican president was elected in large part on the promise that he would build a gigantic wall and drastically reduce immigration. And he actually tried to do that for years, for years to fulfill that campaign promise, but it just didn't happen. He was stopped by the courts, by the bureaucracy, by crooked corporations that have a lot of political influence and that rely on cheap labor, all of which undermined the clearly articulated will and rights of the American people. And then this is where it gets really crazy. When a Republican governor in Florida decided to charter a plane and fly just a few dozen of those millions and millions of illegal aliens up to a wealthy liberal beach town, he found himself the subject of both a criminal investigation and a lawsuit by the illegal aliens who in an even remotely sensible nation, would have been deported the very moment that they hopped the border. But we don't live in a sane, sensible nation anymore. It's hard to say that we even live in a nation anymore. Certainly not a nation defined by self-government. More and more, it seems as though we live in a borderless liberal empire where our leaders improvise the rules as they go along, and always to the same purpose. No matter how the game is played, no matter what the numbers show, no matter what the other players want, the liberals always have to win. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from RBA who says, okay, everybody hit the showers, now has a different meaning for one team. Uh, This, I suppose, in that reaction to the UMass football team presenting itself as super duper rainbow flags everywhere LGBT uh, while playing the Christian conservative school Liberty University. That's true. It it sure gives a different meaning to some of that locker room talk. When you want to protect yourself, you've obviously got to check out Ring. Right now, head on over to ring.com slash Knowles. The start of fall is always so busy, especially for me. It's speech season now. I'm hitting the road all the time, but I can rest easy. Why? Because of Ring Alarm. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ring, the video doorbell company, they've got an alarm. They do. Ring Alarm is an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring, 
when you subscribe. Best of all, you can easily install it yourself, and Ring did not stop there. They changed the home security game with Ring Alarm Pro. That is why I love Ring. I strongly recommend that you become a pro like me. Go pro with Ring Alarm Pro. Ring Alarm Pro is a whole home security system with available professional monitoring when you subscribe to Ring Protect Pro. Ring Alarm Pro combines a security system with a fast Eero Wi-Fi 6 router for home security and network security in one device. Your physical home, your digital home, you get it all. If anything happens, professional monitoring calls and can request emergency services. This fall, whether you are in your home, whether you're at the office, whether you're across the country, make sure that you are protected. Okay, head on over to Ring, get Ring Alarm Pro, ring.com slash Knowles. That is ring.com slash Knowles. The illegal aliens that got the free private jet vacation to Martha's Vineyard, one of the nicest uh, vacation resorts on planet Earth, a place that most of us will never have the opportunity to go. Uh, now they are, they, the illegal, the people who are in this country illegally are suing the governor of Florida for sending them there after they, after they signed a waiver saying that they were happy to go there. This is uh, thanks to a group called Lawyers for Civil Rights. It's a leftist group. And uh, they claimed that Florida officials, quote, designed and executed a premeditated, fraudulent, and illegal scheme centered on exploiting this vulnerability for the sole purpose of advancing their own personal, financial, and political interests. I'm going to take a pause right there. Personal interests and political interests are sort of opposite categories. Right? Personal means it's just private. Political means it's public. Now, I guess I have a personal interest in my politics being good and sane and normal. So in that sense, they have it. But what did the, what, what did the Florida election, the Florida governing officials rather, you know, the governor of Florida and the legislature and the whole staff, what do they get out of this? Well, they're forcing the liberals to deal with the consequences of their own immigration policies. That's it. That's all they're getting out of it in the hopes that the liberals will then see what's going on, feel the political pressure and then stop importing millions and millions of illegals every single year into border states. Then the lawyers claimed that the illegal immigrants were enticed to get on the private jet to Martha's Vineyard with perks such as $10 McDonald's gift certificates. You know, for me, if you offered me a free trip to Martha's Vineyard on a private jet, I wouldn't even need the $10 McDonald's gift certificate. They're, they're bringing this lawsuit because Ron DeSantis did to a very small degree what Joe Biden and the federal government has been doing at a very large scale, that is taking illegals who make it into America and then just flying them all around the country. The liberals are already doing this exact thing. They're just doing it to places that are not nearly as nice as Martha's Vineyard. So we can say, well, it's hypocrisy. Well, imagine if the shoe were on the other foot. Gosh, what if the roles were reversed? Right. They know it's hypocrisy. They don't care. This is not about rules. This is not about the law. Of course, the most, the, the most obvious takeaway from this is why are these immigrants able to sue the governor at all? They shouldn't be here. The minute that they raise their hands and say, hey, I'm here illegally, ICE should descend and ship them out of this country because they are flagrantly, flamboyantly breaking the, the nation's most basic laws. But that doesn't happen because the rules that we ostensibly live under are not the real rules that govern our society. Just like the Constitution, capital C, that nice piece of parchment that we ostensibly live under, 
is not the real lowercase c constitution that governs our society. What really governs our society are the real power structures that exist. And in the real power structures that exist, the Democrats get to import millions of illegals every year and fly them all around the country and send them all to the red states to try to gain a permanent electoral advantage. And the minute the Republicans push back at all, in the least, do even one one thousandth of of exactly what the Democrats are doing, that's a a national case. You're going to find yourself under criminal investigation. You're going to find yourself the subject of many lawsuits. So what's DeSantis doing now that he's getting this massive amount of threats coming at him from the left? Well, he's doubling down. There was, where is it? There was a terrific article yesterday. It came out. Governor DeSantis might send illegal aliens to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Now, this was something that uh, Ted Cruz suggested a year ago. He said, you've got to send these illegal immigrants, not just to DC and New York, you got to send them to Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket, not just Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket, you got to send it to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. You got to send it to where Joe Biden stays. And that was the headline yesterday. And then this is the key here. It didn't happen. Governor DeSantis threatened to send migrants to Biden's Delaware home. It was a no-show. State officials mobilized. Community groups stood by to help. Reporters and camera crews staked out airports. But the plane and the migrants never showed. This confusing drama was the latest chapter in an ongoing spat between Biden and Governor DeSantis amid his threat to send migrants to sanctuary jurisdictions around the country. This was, this was really smart. And it's, I tell you, this whole episode is giving me more and more respect for DeSantis every day. Because DeSantis knows you can't be predictable here. The, the, first, the first move was great. Sends them to Martha's Vineyard. Proves that the libs aren't really hoping for, to, to host sanctuary cities. Don't really like the immigrants. Act, actually compare the immigrants to trash. End up deporting the immigrants and sending them to a military camp with that for, within 44 hours of their arrival. Right, that was hilarious. And then, if he had just sent them again, it, the, the Democrats would have been better prepared. So what he does is he threatens to send them again. He doesn't actually send them. The state officials mobilize. They're ready. We're going to activate all all of the authorities. This is an emergency. And then it doesn't happen. And they look very, very foolish because DeSantis can now look at them and say, hey, why were you all so worried? Why were you all mobilizing? Why were you on the verge of calling in the National Guard? Because I was going to send a plane of those people in that you say it's so wonderful to invite into our country, that you say you want to give sanctuary to, but you don't actually do that. Then what's he do? In between those two stunts, he hits them with a great immigration ad where you've got a, a woman telling the, this true tragic story of her son getting killed by an illegal immigrant. Had the Democrats not invited the illegal immigrants into the country, her son would still be alive. So this was obviously planned out. It's not just little trolls and tactics. It's part of a longer term strategy. And it's a strategy that the Dems can't predict. This is the key. This this was one of, if not the greatest strength of Donald Trump was his unpredictability. It's why his foreign policy was the greatest foreign policy in my lifetime is because all those bad guys around the world actually thought twice. Kim Jong-un 
when he sees this tweet from this crazy guy, Donald Trump, that says, I've got a big nuclear button and my button actually works. Don't tempt me, bro. He's probably thinking, look, 95% chance Trump doesn't do anything. But 5%, who the hell knows? Trump runs as a dove candidate. He runs against all of the wars. And then one day he decides to take out the top Iranian general. And you just don't know. You know, you you think this guy is going to zig and then he zags. And DeSantis, who has obviously learned a ton of tricks from Donald Trump, this is one of the things he's learned as well. It's something conservatives need to be aware of constantly. You've got to be unpredictable. Do not let the libs lure you into a steady, predictable pattern of behavior. Keep up, keep up the pressure, keep up the political leverage, but don't let them know where you're going. The, this stuff is really, really popular. Okay. This stuff is a big political winner. It's not a big political winner in the news media. It's not a big political winner among the establishment, but the American people love this stuff. I quoted that Harvard Harris poll. Democrats never want to talk about this poll. It was in 2018. And the way it phrased the question, it didn't ask, do you want to reduce immigration? Because when polls ask that question, then it's a much, much more of a mixed bag. All the poll asked was, what do you think is a good level of immigration, including legal immigration? And most people said for legal immigration, about 500,000 people per year or less. And then no illegal immigration. 500,000 people. We take in 3 million people a year. So when you actually get down to the numbers, the vast majority of of Americans want to drastically reduce all immigration. Okay. Because you couldn't even get down to that number if you only got rid of all illegal immigration. You'd have to reduce legal immigration too. The policies are popular. You see this with pro-choice and pro-life. When you ask questions about abortion and you use the phrases pro-choice and pro-life, it's kind of a mixed bag. When you get into the nitty gritty of when, when people think they, you ought to be able to kill a baby, when you get into the nitty gritty of what abortion actually looks like, the country is overwhelmingly pro-life. This stuff is very, very popular. When you just present it to people, we win. If you ask someone, hey, do you think that we should tolerate transgenderism and gender affirming care? I promise you the polls are going to be a big mixed bag. Maybe the majority of Americans are even for it. When you show them what it actually means, that gender affirming care means hacking off people's forearms and calves and constructing a fake Frankenstein-esque looking phallus or some kinds of fake genitals that you sew on chopping little girls' breasts off, hideous Dr. Frankenstein stuff those numbers are going to plummet into nothing. Okay. It's for the libs. They've got to use all these euphemisms and euphemisms are soft words that are designed to soften harsh truths. And then the way the libs use them is actually to invert the truth. So instead of referring to an illegal alien, which is a, which is a very precise technical term, means a foreign national. They use this term undocumented American. Well, whatever you think of illegal aliens, they sure ain't American. Okay. It's just, that's not, that's not softening a harsh truth. That's actually inverting reality. That's what the libs have to do. And and then they can win. The conservatives, all we have to do is show people the reality, the reality of immigration, the reality of transgenderism, the reality of abortion, the reality of these political circumstances. Then we win. People are seeing the reality right now because the political realities are so in our face. Gas is at not all-time highs. It's declined a little bit over the summer, but gas prices are very, very high. Food prices are very, very high. Inflation year over year is 8.5%. Okay, people's dollars are not going nearly as far. You can just see it with your own eyes. And when people see that reality, the GOP does very well. Right now, according to uh, the latest AJC poll, the GOP is leading in all Georgia races. Don't forget, Georgia 
in that after the crazy 2020 election, Georgia and those runoffs is uh, what threw the Senate to the Democrats. Well, right now, the GOP is absolutely killing it. Even Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock, Herschel, the, the Republican, Warnock, the Democrat, and Warnock had been doing very, very well in the race. Now it's 46-44 Herschel. Brian Kemp is running way ahead of Stacey Abrams, 50 to 42. I'm sure Stacey Abrams still, she could get beaten 90 to 10. She still wouldn't concede the race. She's going to be the governor in her own mind. You're seeing uh, GOP State Senator Burt Jones leading Charlie Bailey, 43 to 33 GOP Attorney General Chris Carr, absolutely destroying Democrat State Senator Jen Jordan, uh, 45 to 35, destroying her with facts and logic and votes. The list goes on and on and on. If the liberals want to win this race, they're going to have to cheat. Okay. And they are probably going to cheat. They're going to try to cheat. They're going to try to push widespread mail-in ballots. They're going to try to extend election day to election. They've already done that. They're going to try to extend election day very, very far and wide. They're going to try to suppress GOP poll watchers. This is regular stuff. This isn't crazy conspiracy theory stuff. Democrats try to do this virtually every election, and now it's a lot easier because of the way they changed the rules in 2020. Now, speaking of cheating, I've got to change gears a little bit here. I, I mentioned yesterday that the singer from Maroon 5 is being accused of cheating on his wife and mother of his three children with some Instagram chick. And uh, I don't really care about the story, about any of these people in the story in particular, but I do care about the story because it is truly a warning for everybody. Okay, the, the update on, on Maroon 5 Gate is this chick posted uh, DMs that the Maroon 5 singer had sent her, hitting on her, obviously trying to initiate some sort of affair. She then claims they had a year-long affair and that he kept messaging her even after that. He's now saying, okay, I sent her the messages because that part's undeniable, but he's saying, we never had the affair though. He said, I used poor judgment in speaking with anyone other than my wife in any kind of flirtatious manner. I did not have an affair. Nevertheless, I crossed the line during a regrettable period of my life. In certain instances, it became inappropriate. I've addressed that and taken proactive steps to remedy this with my family. My wife and my family, it's all I care about in this world. To be this naive and stupid enough to risk, the only thing that truly matters to me was the greatest mistake I could ever make. I will never make it again. I take full responsibility. We will get through it, and we will get through it together. Okay, I'm not even mentioning the story. I'm not mentioning it to beat up on the girl. The girl's pretending to be a victim here. She's not really a victim. She willingly and knowingly had an affair with a married man with kids. She should atone for her sins and kind of remain quiet and not make a big spectacle out of herself. But I'm not mentioning the story to beat up on her. I'm not even mentioning the story to beat up on him. As Drew Clavin says, every man is two drinks and a wink away from burning down his life. Okay. So yes, there, but for the grace of God, go all of us. The reason I mention this story is because of a moral and uh, it's a sort of moral trick Okay, but it's really helpful for people who write into this show a lot. We had this long conversation last night on Backstage about porn, and then it kind of became a conversation about all sorts of sins and vices. And on the mailbag of this show, I don't know, a fifth, a quarter, maybe a third of the messages I get are from young men who are hooked on porn, and they say it's a really big problem in their lives. The trick here is avoiding the near occasion of sin, okay, and... It sounds like really moral religious language, and it is, but it's 
even if you, if you're, if you're an atheist, even if you don't take religion that seriously, this is just a really practical tool for your own life. Did this guy have an affair or not? It certainly seems like he did. But regardless, he didn't start screwing up when he had the affair. He didn't even start screwing up when he messaged the hot Instagram girl. He started screwing up when he went on Instagram and he knew that he would find this kind of content. If you want to avoid, people write in, they say, and this was the question on the backstage show last night. How, how can my husband stop looking at porn? Well, he's, he, he's not going to stop it at the, at the point of looking at the porn. He's going to stop it a few steps back. He's going to maybe put some safeguards on his computer. He's going to maybe use his computer or his phone or his iPad or whatever in a different way. He's going to get hobbies. He's going to spend his time differently. He's got to avoid the near occasion of sin. Mike Pence got in big trouble for this five or six years ago when he said that he doesn't have private dinners with women. If he's having a dinner with a woman, his wife has to be present. And the libs called him sexist and awful and terrible for this. Then five seconds later, the Me Too scandal breaks out. And, and they wouldn't give Mike Pence any credit, <laughs> even though what Mike Pence is saying is, I love my wife, I don't want to put women in a bad position, and I don't want to put me in a near occasion of sin, so I'm just not going to do that. They get angry at Mike Pence for not cheating on his wife, basically. But what Mike Pence did is very, very smart, because he's saying, look, I don't think I'd cheat on my wife, certainly don't want to cheat on my wife, but I'm a man, I got red blood, I don't want to put myself in a situation where that is going to be tempting or a risk, or even it could have the whiff of scandal, or it could even look improper. I'm just not going to do that as all. This is an important lesson for everybody. Don't, don't put yourself in the situation where the temptation is going to be so great and overwhelm you. That, that's a sin in and of itself, okay? Be smart about this stuff, or else you're going to look like a total schmuck, and you're going to burn down your life, and you're going to lose the things, the only things that really matter to you in life. And you're going to have no one but yourself to blame for it, okay? Speaking of shameful sex stuff, really, really big story just came out of Daily Wire. Our pal Matt Walsh has been on this jihad against the transgender movement ever since his movie came out, What is a Woman? And he's been uh, digging up, and the research team here at Daily Wire have been digging up videos from these transgender clinics, specifically the pediatric transgender clinics. You remember what happened at the Boston Children's Hospital. The Boston Children's Hospital got caught by libs of TikTok saying that they perform these crazy gender surgeries on, on children, on people who are 16 years old or younger, 13 years old. Okay, and this, this is a big scandal People were rightly very upset about this. Well, it turns out this is happening in our own backyard. Vanderbilt Hospital here in Nashville, Tennessee, has a pediatric gender clinic. And Matt and the, and the research team here at Daily Wire have dug up some videos of them explaining exactly how this transgender clinic started. Now, when you want to talk to me about this and so many other things, you've got to write in to the voice mailbag. Pure Talk sponsors the voice mailbag. How do you do it? You head on over to the Michael Knowles Show page at The Daily Wire. You click on Watch. You click on The Michael Knowles Show. Then you click Submit a Mailbag Question. Now, you can type out your question if you want, or on your phone or on your computer, you can record just a little 
voice recording, less than one minute, please, so that we can feature it on the show. And uh, then you just attach it as a file to the email, send it in, and we will hear your mellifluous and dulcet voice on Friday. The Vanderbilt Pediatric Transgender Clinic started four years ago, sort of surreptitiously. They didn't want to make too many waves. They just wanted to make a bunch of money preying on sexually confused kids with very confused and sometimes predatory parents and put these kids on cross-sex hormones, mutilate their bodies, and make them patients for life. The, the, the key to this expose is the reason that one of the leaders of the pediatric transgender clinic gave for why they started it up. Insurance cover carriers are mandated to cover medical expenses for trans folks. Um, some of our BUMC financial folks in, 20, in August of 20, sorry, October of 2016, sorry, a couple of years ago, put down some costs of how much money we think each patient would bring in. And this is only including top surgery. This isn't including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Uh, so female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. Uh, a patient just on routine hormone treatment who I'm only seeing a few times a year can bring in several thousand dollars because that requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. Uh, and then the female to male bottom surgeries, these are huge money makers. Again, I think this has to be an underestimate that they're quoting around $20,000 for a phalloplasty. There's been different things that I've read that said it could be up to $100,000. Um, Dr. Winokur, who's our surgeon, said that there's entire clinics where the entire clinic is supported just by their phalloplasties. And that is like a fraction of the surgeries that they're doing. These are huge money makers. And of course they are. Some of us have been pointing this out for years now, that when you get anybody to go down the transgender rabbit hole, you create a very, very lucrative patient for life because these people have open wounds, all sorts of horrible mutilations. They've got to take all sorts of drugs, and it's very, very expensive. And big pharma and the health establishment make a lot of money on that. So do you know how you can make even more money than getting some poor, depressed, mentally ill 25-year-old to chop off his genitals and take a bunch of expensive drugs? If you get kids to do it, because then you've got a patient for 10 years longer or more. You've got that patient for life. And as their health deteriorates and there are more complications from this sort of mutilation, they're going to need more and more expensive drugs and interventions. And that's not just some crazy conspiracy theory. That's what one of the heads of the pediatric gender clinic just said when she was explaining why they established the clinic. All of which means, by the way, that when, while we're talking about giving out these, these really difficult drugs to kids, I've got a, a really difficult, hard-to-swallow pill for conservatives. What this means is that the transgender mania, including and especially transing the kids, is not just a product of leftism. It's not just a product of cultural Marxism. It, it, it is a product of those things. But it is just as much a product of capitalism and individualism. These people are just out to make a buck. And the capitalist ideology, don't forget capitalism, although a lot of conservatives identify as capitalists and tout capitalism. Capitalism is a word that was popularized by Karl Marx, okay? Capitalism is a godless modern ideology that worships mammon, that does one, one of the 
key things in the Bible that the Bible says, do not do, worship mammon. That's what it does. And, and what you get out of this is the kind of 1980s caricature, American psycho, Gordon Gecko, greed is good kind of thing. This idea that the economy is morally neutral, that we've just got to pursue profit ruthlessly, this Ayn Rand sociopathy. Okay. This is what that leads to. This leads to treating human beings not as as your brothers and and fellow uh, creatures made in the image and likeness of God, but is treating them as uh, just just something to be used for your own benefit, so you can make a buck, even if it means chopping off a kid's genitals. Well, hey, that's going to be a really great way to make a lot of money. So whatever, as long as they consent to it, that's fine. And and in the modern era, because we've thrown morality out the window and all we care about is making money, the only, the only moral criterion that we even discuss at all is consent. Well, as long as two people consent to it, that's absolutely fine. Now, of course, in the case of children, they cannot consent. So the, the liberals are trying to convince everyone that children can give consent. That's one of the explicit arguments they're making. But in this case, they can say, well, the parents consent to it, and it's the parents' job to raise the kids. So as long as we get the parents to consent, it's totally fine. But it's not totally fine. And in a world in which moral criteria don't really matter or they're unintelligible and we can't have those kinds of conversations about what is good and true and beautiful and virtuous, then all that matters is individual choice. And so you'll you'll very often hear people say, well, look, if an individual wants to mutilate his body, well, that's none of my business. Who cares? Well, I think it is my business for two reasons. One, because I've got faculties of reasons and I can separate truth from false and right from wrong. But two, because I live in a society and we have self-government. So actually, the things that we're allowed to do and not allowed to do, it's everybody's business in in all societies, in all political communities, but especially in self-government. Because in America, at least in the olden days, at least according to the Constitution, we're supposed to be the people who make the laws. So yes, it very much is our business. But we don't want to talk that way anymore. And it's especially people on the right who don't want to talk that way anymore. We just talk about individuals. and Well, it's your choice. Do whatever you want. Because we've thrown out this notion of duty, which is, has always been essential to the conservative worldview until about five minutes ago, until really 20, 30 years ago, when duty was replaced by rights and my, my freedom and my individual choice. Because of that, we can no longer say, no, a man who is born a man has a duty, has a responsibility to act like a man. Don Corleone. Johnny Fontaine, what can you do? You're going to act like a man. What's the matter with you? And women have a responsibility to act like women, that our bodies, that the, uh, the, the given circumstances of ourselves actually dictate some of the things that we ought to do. We can't just do whatever the hell we want. We don't have a right to do that, at least. And if you accept that premise, that conservative premise, then of course you got to get rid of the crazy transgender surgery. It's harmful. Doctors take an oath first to do no harm. Okay. It's, it's harmful to the patients. It's harmful to society. It's based on a false anthropology. Just get rid of it, especially for kids, but for everybody. Okay. Or if you, if, if the conservatives, even the conservatives throw these moral criteria out the window, then we're basically just the libs. And it all just comes down to choice, personal interest, personal base desire, the only difference is conservatives talk a little bit more about making money, but only a little bit more. You hear that lib, I guarantee you that doctor is a big lib. And she's talking about it too. She goes, these transgender surgeries on kids, they're going to make us a lot of money. 
At that point, if you throw out the duty and the obligation and the criteria and the transcendent moral order and the virtue, then all the conservatives are is just greedy liberals. They're just especially greedy liberals, right? (laughs) People who say, you know, I'm fiscally conservative, but socially liberal. All that means is you're a greedy liberal. You don't even want to give your money and taxes to the poor. (laughs) You want all the terrible liberal stuff and you're greedy (laughs) and you're extra greedy on top of it. Not good. Not good, folks. We need a little bit of introspection here because we can whine and complain and say, oh, the terrible left is doing this. Yeah, we let them do it. How did we let them do it? The, The people broadly have common sense, I think. That's what we were talking about earlier on immigration, on abortion, on, on the transgender issue. The people have common sense. They know this stuff is wrong. Okay, they're, I think they're with us overwhelmingly. So then how did we let the libs win? How did, we let, how did we let it go so far? It's because of a failure of conservatives. It's because in many ways we've accepted the libs' premises. But people know this stuff is wrong. You remember the teacher I was talking about yesterday? That Canadian male teacher who's got some kind of bizarre sexual fetish and who wears these giant size triple Z prosthetic breasts into the classroom. And he's a shop teacher, which seems especially dangerous, but they're these very gigantic, obscene uh, prosthetic breasts. And he dresses up like a woman and the guy obviously needs serious counseling and he needs some spiritual direction and he might need to be committed to an insane asylum. Unfortunately, our society has gone insane. So the insane asylum is just the country. That's where we live. And this is true up in Canada, up in America's hat as well. Peter Boghossian is a really interesting academic. He's, he's one of the guys, along with James, James Lindsay, behind the uh, so-called squared grievance studies hoax that happened a few years ago, where these academics submitted completely bogus, nonsensical papers uh, on all sorts of critical theory and grievance studies to academic journals, and they were accepted. And it was very, very funny. So Peter Bogosian, he tweets out, most people have strong moral impulses about whether this individual, this male teacher with the fake giant prosthetic breasts, should be allowed to teach their children in a public school. But very few can construct a good argument why or why not. It's more difficult than you think. Try it. So I don't think it's difficult at all. I think it's very simple to construct an argument as to why. And and the argument is this. The purpose of school is to educate students, not to corrupt students. The purpose of education is to show students and instruct them in the good, true, and beautiful ways to behave and ways to think and, and to introduce them to this kind of knowledge in that way. Not to corrupt them right? It's to develop their rational wills, not their lowest appetites, right? And so this man, who is so egregiously deviant, obviously is not suited to educate. He is only suited to corrupt and screw up people's brains. And so he should not be teaching. I think it's a very simple argument. It's very very obviously true. And I don't know, maybe Peter doesn't want to make an argument like that, but, but he might just be saying something deeper too. I'm not sure. He might just be saying, look, we all know this is wrong, even if you can't construct an argument for it, can't we all just accept that it's wrong? (laughs) Isn't there a sort of wisdom to repugnance, as the bioethicist Leon Cass might say? And we can just know, you just just look at it, and I'm not saying this is right 100% of the time, but we just know, thanks to good prejudice, (laughs) we just know that this pervert teacher wearing the weird sexual fetish costume to the classroom is not right, and we can say no to that at least traditionally in self-government, we have been allowed to say no to that. Whether we still can or not, I suppose, remains to be seen. 
So you've stopped giving your money to woke razor companies that hate you. You've bought Jeremy's razors instead. Good on you. Every dollar we take away from the libs is $1 saved from misuse. But that is a fringe benefit compared to the Jeremy's razors contest for the car that we've just launched. Here is how it works. For every person you refer, whether they buy a Jeremy's razors kit or a Daily Wire annual membership, you both get points in the race to win the God King's McLaren. Now listen, this isn't just a masculine car. It actually spells out the word masculine in exhaust fumes. I would know. I was standing right behind it when Jeremy peeled out of the parking lot yesterday. If you refer enough people, you just might win it. Seriously, a 3.8 liter V8 powered sports car with hundreds more horsepower than my Honda Civic. I know it's uh, shocking because my Honda Civic, I basically feel like Vin Diesel in that thing. But the McLaren, even more powerful. Now, I know Ben believes that he has the best and smartest audience out there. But if one of you were to win, I would be able to prove him wrong. Once and for, We all know it, but I'd be able to prove it once and for all. So it would not only be a win for you, but a big win for me too. To sign up and start competing, go to jeremysrazors.com slash play. The race for the car ends on November 1st. So get in the competition today. See terms and conditions for complete details at jeremysrazors.com slash referral terms. The program is open only to legal U.S. residents residing in the U.S. and D.C., excluding residents of Colorado, Connecticut, Maryland, Puerto Rico, and U.S. territories and possessions. 18 and older, remember, friends don't let friends shave with woke razors. The, the crazy teacher in Canada with the gigantic prosthetic breasts and the, the school defends the teacher, right, even though the parents and the students are rightly complaining about it. it, it raises this point that we haven't seemed to appreciate recently, which is in order to have education, you need to agree on the purpose. What's the purpose of education? Are you going to learn the liberal arts? Are you going to learn the technical arts? Are you going to learn how to be a sadomasochist? Are you going to learn how to become a sort of pervert? Are you going to learn communism? Are you going to learn something? Education has to have an end. It has to have a telos. It has to, you, you have to be aiming at something together. The same is true of a political community. All political communities Cities, states, nations are people living together in community with a common purpose. What are we after? What are we all about? What what are we all doing together? It is not enough just to say, well, we're just here. I'm just here to protect my rights. Right. In a way, that's a sort of purpose too. Or we're going to spread democracy abroad. I don't know that that's necessarily the smartest purpose. Hasn't worked out very well historically, but that would be one purpose. Or we're going to build up American industry and and be a shining city on a hill for others to see, a beacon of hope to the world. That's one. But we have to have a, we have to agree on what we're doing. And increasingly, we can't do that because the libs have their own perverted moral view that tears down all that is traditionally American, and the conservatives just don't don't really offer any moral view anymore. Even if we have them, we, we, we're too afraid to articulate it. But we have to have a purpose. Speaking of not having a purpose, David Hogg. Do you remember David Hogg? He's one of the kids who, he was at that school in Florida where the shooting, one of the shootings took place. And he uh, used that as an opportunity to become 
somewhat famous, and he immediately jumped on TV, and he turned this into a small sort of celebrity industry for himself. And then he was accepted to Harvard, uh, basically just on the basis of going on TV a lot after a school shooting. And he's become a sort of poster child for really simplistic, platitudinous liberal slogans. So David Hogg tweeted out something yesterday that was really sad. I'm not mentioning this to dunk on David Hogg. I'm on a mission of mercy to try to help this poor kid. He tweets out, quote, I'm never planning on having kids. I would much rather own a Porsche and have a Portuguese water dog and golden doodle. Long term, it's cheaper, better for the environment, and will never tell you that it hates you or ask you to pay for college. Brutal. Now, the immediate conservative response to this, I noticed a lot of people in the comments section, they said, great. (laughs) Thanks, bro. Please don't procreate. We don't need any more David Hoggs. I don't think that's charitable, and I don't think it's the right thing to say, and I actually don't think it's even the right way to think about politics. We are not going to get a more conservative country by encouraging the libs to to become even more liberal and self-centered and engaging and disregarding marriage and disregarding having children, disregarding creating community structures. That's actually not going to work because yes, maybe this guy won't have kids, but he's going to it's going to shape the way that the political community views itself. And over time, it's going to make the country more liberal, even if he doesn't have kids. We're actually not going to outbreed them, I don't think. Okay. But furthermore, this is really, this is sad. Because it's not even that he's saying, I'm not going to have kids and I've got some higher purpose. He's not saying that. I don't think the kids are for everybody. I don't think the marriage is for everybody. But you do need a higher purpose. You, sh- you really should not live for brunch. Living for brunch is a dead end. It's going to make you completely miserable. And so many of my millennial and Zoomer friends are doing it, and they are miserable as a result of it. And I can see it with my own two eyes. What's he say? He doesn't say, I, I don't want to have kids because I want to join the clergy. <laughs> you know, I want to become a missionary. I want No, he's saying, I want to have a nice car and some fun little, want to have some fun little dogs. And I, I fear that if I have a child, I will love that child and that child will let me down. So I feel suffering at the hands of people I love. So I'm not going to engage in love in the first place. And I fear losing my money because I don't want to have to pay for college. Bro, I get it. I get it. I know that it, that I understand that point of view. And especially if you're an atheist and you don't think there's any real meaning to life and you think we're all just kind of sacks of meat stumbling around until we die and turn to, to worm food and take a dirt nap, that you could think that the purpose of life is just to give yourself as much pleasure in a really shallow understanding of pleasure as you can. But that's not, that ain't it, man. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, on, on the subject of shallow pleasure versus, versus deeper pleasure, he says, for a little child, the little child cannot imagine anything more wonderful and enjoyable than chocolate. And if you mentioned sex to a child, which the libs, I guess, are doing these days, but if you were to mention sex to a child, the child wouldn't get it. You say, actually, sex is more, more enjoyable and pleasurable than chocolate. The child, the child couldn't fathom that because the child's frame of reference is only that chocolate is the greatest thing ever. The child might actually think, huh, well, I wonder if sex involves eating chocolate bars <laughs> because it's the only, but actually there are things that are higher. And although now modern libs seem to think that sexual pleasure with random people is the highest possible form of pleasure. It's not. There are much higher pleasures, like family, which involves you actually 
reducing the amount of sex that you can have with random people. You're actually probably increasing the total amount of sex you're having because you you have a wife who <laughs> likes you and will probably feel some kind of nagging obligation to <laughs> indulge you every now and again. So you can, it will it will limit you in some ways, but it will open you up. Yes, it's true. I, sl- I love sleeping. I don't get to sleep very much now. I love going out with my friends and having cigars and drinks. I don't get to do that nearly as much as I once did. Why not? Because I, I have to stay home and see my children. But it's not that I, ha- I get to stay home and see my children. The joy, while my child is having a complete meltdown and he's throwing gooey, disgusting food all over the place and there's a mess everywhere and he's screaming and the other baby starts crying and the, the anxiety that that induces. And then I just look over at my little kid and I see his cute little chubby little cheeks little 19-month-old baby cheeks, and he does a little kind of like a little smile at daddy. It is a joy that is, it is so sublime. It's so unfathomable when you're a kind of glib lib, just living for your own pleasure, that I know, I know I can't actually articulate how great it is. But I promise you, I promise you, David Hogg, I promise you shallow glib libs, there are higher things here. There are higher things beyond your own basest desires and appetites and, and supposed self-interest. But actually, you're, you're, the things that you are pursuing today as your self-interest really will not make you happy in the long run. It's not making people happy now. There's a, a study that just came out of Harvard. Surprising to everyone in the liberal establishment, not surprising at all to normal people. Young people are miserable. They are totally freaking miserable. Okay. And Harvard can't make sense of it. Why are young people so miserable? Quote, according to every dimension of well-being that we looked at, happiness, health, meaning, character, relationships, financial stability, those who are 18 to 25 felt they were worse off. This according to Tyler Vanderweel, who conducted the study. They're worse off. According to, it would, it would make sense that young people are have lower reports of happiness according to certain metrics maybe than certain financial stability maybe. Although I guess young people, depending on the family structure, young people might feel especially financially stable because they're still relying on their parents for certain things. But but yes, certain criteria you could maybe expect them to be a little less happy maybe than others. But everything, social relationships, when you're young, that's supposed to be when you're most connected, when you're seeing so many people. It's only when you get old that you kind of stop making time to see your friends and you become more isolated and your friends die. Why are young people miserable on every metric? We've been told that all of the progressive advances in society are supposed to make us all happier. But they have, you could point to pretty much anything that has changed in the last 30, 50 years. And you could say that is playing a role in it. Technology isolating us from real life. We're told that when we get to live in the metaverse, that's so wonderful and cool and hip. And no, it's not. We, we're human beings. We need to see one another. We need to touch one another. That's why during COVID, when people were hugging through cellophane wrappers, that was so inhuman. We need to, and zooming everywhere. We need to see one another. We're incarnate creatures. We have bodies. Family life. We're told it's super cool now. Abandon your family. Don't get married. Don't have kids. You're going to be so happy because you'll get to go to brunch in whatever city you're in this weekend. Doesn't make people happy. And then, of course, the core of it is religion. As religion has declined, people have become miserable, and it is a direct one-to-one ratio. You might be an atheist. You might be an agnostic. You, I'm just, you might not even get it, but I think you know I'm right. 
I think you know there's this weird connection between the two. Okay. Speaking of following one's bliss, there's a story, you know, I'm going to get to this tomorrow. I'm just going to tease it right now. I'm going to get to the story tomorrow though. This is very politically incorrect. John Boyega, who is, is the actor from Star, the new Star Wars movies, I think. I'm sure he's been in other stuff. He just told GQ magazine that he only dates black women. He said, I only date black. I actually don't know if he's gay or straight. These days, it's very confusing. But whatever his views, he says, or his preferences, rather. He says, I only date black. Then it's about chemistry, personality, goals. Is there synergy? Can I help you? Can you help me? Not exactly a great way to think about love affairs, but okay, he's saying, I'm very disciplined to the type of women I speak to. Um, and then he got in big trouble because he says he only dates black people. And they say this is, some are saying this is racist. Some are saying it's not racist because black people can't be racist. We will get to what I think about John Boyega. We will get to what I think about only dating black ladies tomorrow. For now, though, we've got to get to the member block. Uh, you know, some people get upset about the things that I say. They're completely common sense and reasonable. Um, and then they get really upset and start pulling their hair out. There's one such young man. He is a TikToker. He's got hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok. And I don't, I don't go on TikTok, but one of my producers told me he just posted a video where he's very, very angry with me, and he's debunking all of my horrible, terrible claims with facts and logic. Apparently, it's because I was criticizing those cartoon lesbian pigs for the children's show. So anyway, we'll get to that in a second. The rest of the show is continuing now. You don't want to miss it. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us. We will see you at the member block.